So with that in mind, stand up with me and let's pray. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray for me while I'm praying because uh, I definitely need the help of the Holy Spirit today to get this out. <clears throat> so while I'm praying, if you would just set your intention with me that the Holy Spirit will help me today. Such a beautiful presence of the Lord here today. I thought worship was wonderful. Thank you guys. Appreciate all you're doing. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, I thank you that your kingdom is coming and invading this earth, that your plans and purposes cannot be thwarted, that your word is eternal and forever settled in the heavens. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me today to bring forth mysteries, things that maybe we haven't heard or haven't understood or that have been lost to us, uh, and help us to move past our traditional thinking that we might discover the treasure that lies within us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'll have, Mike, if you keep those other pictures ready for when I'm ready for it, I'll, I'll have. Come with me. We're going to do um, Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to share something that has come out of encounters. So a lot of stuff that, that I get, I don't get from studying. <laughs> um, a lot of it I get from encounters that I have. And I don't talk about them much because I think that it can give you the wrong impression of me. Where you start to think more highly of myself, or my, more highly of me, <laughs> more highly of myself. Where you start to think more highly of me than you ought. And if you haven't had experiences like these, you might think less of yourself than you should. So I really try not to share too much about experiences. Because I don't, I don't think it really matters. But maybe when I'm challenging paradigms, it's helpful to know where this stuff comes from. <laughs> People ask me all the time, is, is there a book that I can listen or read that, you know, I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> but actually that's good because you don't, <clears throat> we've been reading books for generations, decades. I mean, some of you got libraries full of books and it hasn't really impacted or changed you at a depth or a level that what you're seeking. And all of you that are here today are seeking more or you wouldn't be here. You, you don't come to a church like this if you're satisfied with the status quo. For sure. So I had an encounter similar to this on Wednesday. A couple different encounters. I'm going to take a couple of encounters and sort of encapsulate it into one so that it's easier to communicate. Is that okay? But I want to show you some things from Scripture first. Revelation chapter 4. And what I want to talk to you about, let's do it this way. What I want to talk to you about before we get there. The title of my message this morning is the gateway or the doorway into eternity. Now, if I were to just ask you, what is the doorway, the transition point from your temporal bodily existence into that which is expansive and eternal and infinite, or into eternity, what is the transition point? What is the doorway that leads you out of one and into the next? Thank you. Somebody said death, right? Because that's what we're conditioned to think. By our experience and by our church teaching. But what if I were to tell you that you can transition, you can make that transition... You can make that transition if you find the doorway in this life and go in and out, go up and down, 
go out and come back. Would you believe me? But you've got to find the doorway. So part of my goal is to help you find that today. Revelation 4 verse 1 says, actually, let's do this. Revelation 3.20. I'm trying to do this by the Spirit, not out of just notes. So if I'm stumbling a little bit at first, it's because I'm trying to find my vein, okay? So I really want you guys to hear from God, not from me. What I think in my mind you should hear, okay? Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with the father on his throne. Get that image in your mind. Sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus sitting on daddy's lap and you sitting on Jesus lap. Maybe. After you open the door. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. After these things. After what things? After you open the door, overcome, and sit down. Father Jesus, you as the overcomer. Yes? Everybody tracking with me? After these things I looked, and behold, a door open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things that must take place. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in the heaven. And how many sat on the throne? How many? So you have three on the throne, then you have one on the throne. And I'm not talking about the Trinity when I say three. One sat on the throne. Not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One. Right? And he goes through this whole thing. And then we get to Revelation 5. And there's a scroll. He sees a scroll in the right hand of one. And he says, you know, who's worthy to open the scroll? And he starts weeping because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is found worthy. And then he says, do not weep. For the, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll, loose its seals. And then I want you to look at verse 6, Revelation 5. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which are sent out into all the world. So Wednesday, let me give you some background to this. So I had an experience similar to this on Wednesday where I was caught up. And without giving you all, so without giving you all the content, I'll give you the content and the message, but I get caught up I have this experience. I see the lamb on the throne. I'll tell you about that in a minute. I come back out and I check myself with scripture. I start praying again. I go up again. Go up even higher this time. Out of my body. Into the heavens. 
and uh, have this incredible experience. Come back. I know this is hard for some people to believe, but it's the truth. And it only gets harder to believe in a minute. But when I was in the heavens, I got a download of Revelation that shocked me. And I thought, I'm already pushing people's comfort zones and pushing the traditional thing as hard as I possibly can. I've already got people that think I've denied the faith and uh, I don't need more. But I came back, I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with at least some of it with the group that comes on Wednesday night. So this is Wednesday, have this experience. So I, and brushing my teeth, getting ready for church about, I don't know, 5, 5.30, whatever. I'm shaving, not brushing my I'm shaving, getting ready for church. Make sure I'm doing the right activity and telling you I'm... And Josiah comes bounding in and he says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He says, and he's just, he's jumping up and down. He says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He says, I have a pet butterfly now. And I'm like, Huh? He's like, I have a pet butterfly. So there's it, there he is. I don't know if you could see the pet butterfly that he's holding there. And then there's another image here. There's the butterfly. And I'm like, where in the world did that butterfly come from in the middle of winter? You have the same question, right? Do you really want to know the answer? So Julie's in her office and there's this tissue box that Josiah had, you know, with part of his arts and crafts things or whatever that's in this little space in the office. And she hears this fluttering of this bug inside this tissue box. And she opens up the tissue box and there is this butterfly. Now, here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, right? So sometime around, let's say July. June or July, but let's just say July. Elijah caught this caterpillar. Didn't really take care of it. I think he caught two or three actually. And when it was, when he was feeding it, whatever, the makeshift cage for it was this little tissue box. Well, the caterpillar (laughs) apparently died, stayed in the tissue box, and the tissue box never got thrown out. Now here's the thing, the life of that particular butterfly from egg, time the egg is laid, till all the way through the caterpillar, transformation stage, adult butterfly, dead butterfly, eight to ten weeks. That's its lifespan, eight to ten weeks. If it goes into a cocoon, it's ten to fourteen days. I have this experience in the heavens seven or eight months later in the middle of winter and this thing pops out. So we bring it, he brings it to church because he's got to show everybody, you know, because that's just how he is. If you've been around Josiah, he brings tarantulas, he brings lizards, he brings snails, he brings whatever. So he's got to bring this beautiful butterfly, right? So he brings it to church, he brings it in the sanctuary, and it flies away, and these guys will tell you, it perched right up there, right above me, the entire time I was preaching and sharing the revelation that God gave me. Now what's really cool is I have a friend in California who's tracking along the same 
we're driving in the same lane, spiritually speaking. And I thought, i got to share this experience with somebody. And so I, I, I messaged my friend. He wakes up the next morning. He reads about this experience with the butterfly. He said, Aaron, he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I, I started writing a book, and his book actually happens to be the topic that I covered Wednesday night. He said, I'm writing a book about moving from fundamentalism to mysticism. And he said, I finished the chapter. He said, I spent three hours last night and I finished my chapter telling the story about how a caterpillar, a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. And I wake up this morning and you send me this with these pictures. So for those of you that think I'm just making stuff up, or I'm a heretic, I'm telling you, God sends signs following. Amen? That's just the truth. Now, I get caught up into this experience, and I'm looking at the Lamb on the throne. And I hear a voice, and the voice says to me, Is that the man, Jesus? Is that the man, Jesus? And probably at any other time, I probably would have said yes, because I've always, I mean, the Revelation song. How many of you know the Revelation song? Worthy, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Right? But that is not a human being on the throne. So I'm seeing this image on the throne and I hear this voice that says, is that the man Jesus? And I just spontaneously answer, I say, no, it's not. It is a symbol. And I hear the voice say, what does the symbol mean? And so I thought about all the various different Symbols. Now watch this. So a lamb has a very unassuming, gentle nature. Which means the power or the authority that's centralized in the throne is not a dominating, forceful, or mean authority. It is an authority that comes to you like a lamb, not like a lion. Number one. Number two, the number seven. What does seven mean? Seven is the number that means completion or perfection. God rested on the seventh day because He was done, not because He was tired. It was completed. So it's complete. So what are seven eyes? What what are eyes? Eyes are the gateway to the soul. Or eyes really represent consciousness. Conscious awareness. So seven eyes is the fullness of consciousness. What might horns represent? If you look it up in your books, it's going to tell you that horns represent power. And maybe it does. In which case, if it's seven horns, then would represent what? Fullness of power. But really, if you think about it, where do horns come out of? They don't come out of the bottom. If <laughs> That's a tail. <laughs> Comes out of the head and points where? 
So it's a consciousness that is ascending, pointing to the heavens. That's what's on the throne. And it's not a lamb slain. For those of you who still want to say it's Jesus, it's not a lamb slain. That's not what it says. Even though that's what we worship, worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's not what it says. We get these images in our head and we, when we're unable to engage the truth and the reality of Scripture. Revelation 5, uh, it says, And behold, in verse 6, In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. But now where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? The word in the midst there, in the, in the Greek, it's, it's literally the word in the center. Well, it's in the center of the throne, right? Yeah, it is. And where else? And in the midst or in the center of the living creatures. And in the midst or the center of the 24 elders. So here's the mystery. What's seated on the throne, this highest place, if you will, is one, but also three. <laughs> well, the Father's throne, Jesus sitting on the Father's throne, and you sitting on the Father's throne, but it's one. It's one, if, if you will, Christ Essence, Christ energy, Christ light and life and power that's at the center of everything. That movement away from creates the illusion of fragmentation and separation. And movement towards brings you back to the place of unification or oneness or union with God and union with, with everything. So when they're taking their crowns off, they're not worshiping the man Jesus. They are surrendering their power and their consciousness to the higher consciousness of Christ. That's central to everything. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life and light, <laughs> and... Oh, come on, saints. And that's inside of you. And the gateway to that place is in your heart. It's not in your death, it's in your heart. Everybody say, it's in my heart. Alright, let me give you some things. So Ephesians chapter 3, we've looked at it a few times here, so I'm just going to quote it to you. It says, uh, Paul's praying that you'll be energized where? With the Spirit where? In the inner man, right? Why? That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Not the man Jesus. Jesus, the human being, is not living inside your heart. <laughs> I don't care if you did ask Him in. It's a consciousness. It's an energy. 
Right? That's supposed to dwell in your heart, not in your head. In your heart. We're going to talk about the heart. Right? If Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says this. It says, God has placed eternity where? Do you know? God has placed eternity in their heart. So the gateway to all that stuff, the connecting point in all that stuff is inside of you. It's in the center of you, just like it's in the center of the throne, just like it's in the center of the angels and the living creatures, just like it's in the center of the 24 elders. And you can go through that door, you can go through that gateway in your heart, and you can escape the consciousness that you're locked into. Now, here's our problem. So, so, all right, all right. So, I got a million different things going off inside me. Let me slow down a little bit. Do you know what the oldest portion of scripture is in your Bible in the New Testament? In the New Testament, the oldest, the one that dates back the furthest to the most original Christians. Philippians chapter two. Now, the powers that be that want to protect the thought form of the church have once again done you a disservice in the modern translations of your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, here it is. The Philippians chapter 2, 5 through, basically through 11, is the oldest creed, Christian creed, that we possess. It is the most original to what early Christianity and dare I say real Christianity is. You want to know what real Christianity is? Because you've been sold a bill of goods almost your entire life. There are very few people preaching the real Christianity and even fewer that can actually manifest it. And we signed for a bill of goods. Here it is, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind, everybody say mind. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. He didn't say let Christ Jesus be in you. He said let the mind that was in Jesus also be in you. If Jesus is in you, in in that sense, what's the problem? Do you see it? But he's saying let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, don't look at your Bibles. Look up at me and listen. This is from the New King James. Just hear this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Think about that statement. Who being Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to call himself equal with God. Or did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What, What picture does that give you? What is robbery? Taking something, what? That doesn't belong to you. And Jesus in his mind said, when he said that he and the Father were one, when he said that he was God, or when he said that he was equal to God, he wasn't taking anything away from God. Yes? Can you agree with that? But now here's your problem. Because Paul just said, that mind that was in him, let it also be in you. Which is why your new translations change it. And they say, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped at. The word is robbery. So I suppose if you steal something, you have to grasp it. 
So I suppose that's how they arrive at their translation. But I'm going to tell you right now, I checked it out. All your older translations translated as robbery. The Geneva Bible, which preceded the King James Version Bible, translates it as robbery. Young's literal translation, which takes a literal Greek and translates it into English, translated it as robbery. <laughs> uh, there's another one out there I forget at the moment. Um, translate your older translations translate it basically what it's saying is jesus who being because he was in the form of god he didn't think he was stealing anything from god by saying he was equal with god then it goes on and it says but he made himself of no reputation another kind of bad translation the word there means he let go he emptied himself he he poured himself out is the picture he made himself no reputation or he poured himself out now watch this and became obedient to death, even to the death of the cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Why did they crucify Jesus? Because he said he was God. And he wouldn't back off of his testimony. The word obedient there actually is a word that could also mean he was fully persuaded. He became fully persuaded to death, even the death of the cross. It wasn't this, oh God. (laughs) See, we think about it as obedience and and all this weird stuff because our translations are messed up. Listen to how the Greeks are reading it. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God or the image of God, like the original Adam, like you, being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to consider himself equal with God, and he poured himself out, and he was so fully persuaded that he went to death over the issue. Even the death of the cross. In John's gospel, Jesus says, For which of the works that I do, I show you nothing but good works from my Father, for which of these works do you kill me? And the Jews says, We do not kill you. We do not seek to kill you for any good works that you've done. We seek to kill you because you being a human being make yourself out to be God. So what, what the church has done is externalized what's actually in you. Jesus was the ideal. Here's the early Christian creed. What you see in Jesus, model after yourself. The mind that was in Jesus, let that mind also be in you. And here's where it begins. Him being in the form of God realizes that He actually is God. Because in reality, there isn't this separation because there's one on the throne, but there's three on the throne. Because see, if you overcome your conditioning, if you overcome your patterning, if you overcome this idea that you are separate from Him, then you will stay in a union that is central to everything which is the consciousness of Christ, which releases a power that does not empower you to dominate over other human beings or rule with cruelty and force. In whatever forms it may come, it is a power that flows out of a lamb-like nature. It is a consciousness that you can enter into that is an awareness that goes beyond anything you could possibly imagine, that penetrates into all the mysteries of the universe, all the mysteries of the Godhead. In fact, you cannot know God without this mind or this consciousness. Let that be in you. 
and bring it down into matter and pour it out in service and blessing. That is real Christianity. That's what it is. Has nothing to do with being saved and missing hell and going to heaven. Has absolutely nothing to do with it. Nothing. God is not this monster in the sky that just wants to put you through some kind of test and make you suffer and gonna, so you could learn something. And, and, and maybe if you get it right, if you get the answers on the test right and you get the right information and you get the right facts, the right historical facts, then, then He's gonna save you from an eternity of eternal conscious torment. Nothing to do with it. He's trying to plug you. I mean, you don't even know who you are. You haven't got a clue who you are or what you can do because you have identified with the conditioning of the church system, which is a thought form and not the mind of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. What is sin? What is sin? Sin has to do with consciousness. Everybody say this with me. Sin has, sin has everything to do with consciousness. Just say it. The Garden of Eden, oh Lord help us. The Garden of Eden story, the way Paul and the Bible talks about the Garden of Eden, Paul is not talking about Adam so much as a historical person, as he's talking about him as a representation of all humanity. Which means if it happened in Adam, it happens in you. We made it literal and historical and came up with a mess. If it happens in Adam, it happens in you. So what happens? So Adam is made in the image or form of God. And God breathes into him. And the, the Hebrew gets it, but the English misses it. God breathes into him the breath of life and he becomes a living being. Here's the thing about your body. Everything in your body is a conductor of energy. The metal, the water, the minerals. Calcium is one of the greatest conductors of electrical energy that there is. I think when I was researching it, it conducts electricity better than, than copper. Which means when God made Adam of the dust of the ground, all he was doing was putting the wiring together for what he was about to put in it so it could, it could conduct. And then in, the, in the, the picture there is he breathed into Adam the breath of life. He, 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 fi- he set him on fire is the Hebrew picture. In other words, he lit him like a light. He put the divine spark, the divine essence, his own breath inside of him. And what, what, the, what the Jewish, the ancient Jewish documents say is that he, he radiated like a light throughout the cosmos. And he was so godlike that God called the angels together and said, This is your God. Worship him. And some refused, and that's what caused the fall. But regardless, if you're, you know, sola scriptura, you only believe the Bible, regardless, if, if it's inspired in Hebrew, he's radiating. He's expansive. So then when he eats at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, watch what it is. It's the knowledge of good and evil. It's a place of polarity. Everybody say with me, polarity. This and that. One and the other. Light and dark. God and Satan. 
Good and evil. Hot and cold. Pleasure and pain. Male and positive and... You live in a world of polarity. So he eats at the tree of the knowledge. It affects his consciousness, not his belly. It affects his consciousness. So then what happens? It says Adam withdrew himself. You don't understand. You think he just, oh. Because you got a naked guy. Listen, God, God did not give him his body like you have a body until after the fall. It's in your Bible. Go read it. But you think he looked just like, I mean, really, seriously, guys. I mean, we sit there and think there's a couple hippies, hippie vegans, hanging out naked, consuming the herbs, that talk to a snake, probably because they, they ate a mushroom. <laughs> ate an apple. And got kicked out of some place called paradise. And heaven forbid somebody come along and say, that's actually a myth, not in the sense that it's just fiction. It is a myth in the truest and highest sense, meaning that it is a story that's meant to actually bypass that thing between your ears and touch you at the level of where? At the level of the heart, at the gateway to eternity. So you can understand that, that it's really not a story about two historical naked people running around taking hallucinogens and talking to snakes. It's it's really about what's going on with humans. It's, it's, it's a way to illustrate the fall. So here's what happened. So Adam is, is, is and Eve are in this place, but their consciousness becomes affected by polarity and it says he, with, he withdrew himself. What happened? He locked his consciousness. He sliced it down. In other words, if his consciousness is radiating throughout the universe, God could show him all the animals all at once and he could decide who they all were in a moment in time. Because he's got seven eyes. So his consciousness becomes withdrawn and localized within the point that was his body at that time. Which is why when he ate, his eyes were opened. What eyes was he seeing with? Please understand the rhythm of Genesis. I've done this so many times, but people still look at me like I'm introducing some strange new doctrine and I've taken away their Lord and they don't know where I've laid him and... God said, God saw, it was good. God said, it was, God saw, it it was good. Genesis 1. God said, God saw, and it was good. So as the reader, if you're entering into the text, whose eyes are you looking through? And then God looked and saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was... It's not very good in the text. I hate to disappoint you. It's the Hebrew word tav. Watch this. Everything was, it's two, tav, tav. Good, good. Two, polarity, but a singularity. Not good, evil, good, good. Through God's eyes. But when Adam eats at the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil, not good, good, but good and evil, what happens? 
It says his eyes were opened, which means there was a shift out of the eyes of God or the Christ consciousness into a different kind of consciousness that now would project evil where it did not exist. Because evil couldn't exist if God looked and behold, everything he saw was very good. So evil is the projection of the perception of humanity when the consciousness has become shaved down and then spinning rapidly out of control into the world of polarities. So that sin is the loss of the Christ consciousness. Everything else is a byproduct of that. You know how I know? Okay, let's look at this this, this verse. Come with me to First John. Are you guys doing okay? Are you breathing? First John, if I can remember where it is. Uh. Oh man, it's not right. That that's the wrong address. All right, let me quote it for you. You guys can look it up later. All that is in the world, this is basically what it says. Somebody can look it up for me. Mike's really good at that, usually, for me. (laughs) All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is passing away. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. What is the love of the Father? What is the love of the Father? Yes, thank you. The Son. The love of the Father is the Son. He's called the Son of His love. So this Christ consciousness is a consciousness of total unconditional love. And so if you're not connected to it, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. It's about your consciousness. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is passing away. But he who does the will of my Father will abide forever. Eternity. Sin is merely consciousness fixated on something temporary. All right. The lust of the eyes has to do... Okay, all right, all right, all right. If your consciousness, if the Christ consciousness that you're connected to is completely expansive, seven eyes and seven horns, then when you are singularly conscious of you and your life, you're disconnected from it. You've lost it. If you're just stuck in this body and in this ego, then the lust of the eyes is what's coming at you through your senses. I thought, you know, we used to to say lust of the eyes is pornography and lust of the flesh is the buffet or alcohol and cigarettes or... Sweets, whatever. That's that's the lust of the flesh, right? Lust of the eyes, pornography, sex, looking at stuff. Lust, lust of the flesh, uh, greed, uh, materialism, and, and and the pride of life is just thinking good about yourself. And you got to let all that stuff go. I'm going to tell you something. 
That is not the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is a consciousness that can only believe in and tap into and access what it can see in the moment. And it could be pornography or it could be a crucifix. It could be good or evil because the same tree produces death. The lust of your flesh is just whatever's here in the moment. So it could be materialism, it could be food, or it could be religious productivity. It could be coming to church. And the pride of life just means that you're so invested in that that you can't possibly let it go for something greater. There is no polarity in the love of God. See, this is what we miss. Jesus is not teaching you how to force yourself. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not teaching you how to force yourself to live a better life. He's shocking your consciousness in order to wake you up into a reality that's non-dualistic. Let me give you an example. Be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. How many of you ever heard that verse quoted? If you're a perfectionist, that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Am I right? Any perfectionists in the house? And we tell people, if you're not perfect like the Father's perfect, then He's going to send you to hell because God's too holy and too perfect. And blah, 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 blah. This monster that we've created in the sky that we'll look at in a minute. Right? But you know what he's talking about in there? You, you've got to back it up. He says, he says this. He says, don't just greet your brethren. The tax collectors and the heathen do that. He says, he says, love your enemies. He says, bless those who persecute you. Then he says, then you'll be sons, reproductions of your father who is in heaven. For your father causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Therefore, you be as perfect and complete as your father is perfect and complete. So in other words, the love of God radiates out like the sun with no discrimination or polarity of good and evil because behold, everything that he saw that he made was good, good. He causes it to pour down with the rain of life above the frame of good and evil on the just and the unjust because that's just the flowing forth of the goodness of God because it's all His creation. It's all embraced. It's all sustained and created and supported by Him. And He's not trapped in the consciousness of duality. Of me and other. And that's our problem. We have taken Jesus and we, who is the ideal and we have turned him into an idol and we worship him and we're disconnected from him. And by being disconnected from him, we are disconnected from ourselves because polarity has to have me over here and God over there. Uh, so Adam withdraws himself. He becomes fixated. What happens? What happens? What happens? What happens? What happens? What's the next part of the story? Come on, saints, what happens when Adam eats the tree and he withdraws himself and he makes aprons for themselves? What's the next part of the story? Where does God come from? Yeah, 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 in the story. 
He comes in the garden in what? In the cool of the day. Now again, so okay, back to our original thing. Back to what, to what traditional, literal interpretation of the Bible wants you to believe. You got two naked vegans hanging out, using hallucinogens, talking to a serpent who talks. They eat an apple. And here comes God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. No. What happened was when Adam fell, the first thing that he does is he moves into a place called space. His consciousness moves into a place called space. Me over here, God over there. So it's his perception now that he's separate or somehow spatially away from God. And God tries to reach him by speaking into that perception. And I got news for you. It doesn't say God came in the garden in the cool of day. I mean, what? This old white dude with, with a long flowing beard comes. Hey, Adam, how you doing? Is that how it goes? Where you at? Where'd he go? Adam, where are you? It says the sound of the Lord, the vibration, the vibrational frequency, if you will, of the Lord was in the garden. And the cool of the day, the word for cool there is the same Hebrew word for spirit. It's ruach. So he's in the spirit. And the word for day there means the highest point of the day when the sun is shining in its strength. So it is a place of spirit and light. But Adam is trapped in space. Time. So he's hearing the voice. Oh, saints, this is going to get... If somebody doesn't get up and shout by the time I'm done, I'm going to quit. I am going to quit. I'm going to start putting in applications, Sadie, Dom, for African-American churches where people can actually, like, be in their hearts. This stuffy... White religious nonsense. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just saying, let's, let's get this, let's get this, let's get this. Adam hears the voice of God walking in the Spirit and in the light, and he hides himself from the Spirit and from the light. Doesn't mean he's separate, but he hides himself in time and space. And so what happens is he starts this descent where, if you will, the, the image is he's spinning completely out of control with his consciousness stuck in polarities. And the more he spins out of control, the more his consciousness falls, the more he's separated from the voice, the sound, that's in the spirit and in the light. Are you breathing? So what voice are you supposed to be hearing when you open the door? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, what voice? The ancient voice of God in the spirit and in the light. But we, the door is a door of consciousness where we have closed ourselves off in separation in time and space. So here's how this works. To be locked in space is to be completely ruled by your senses. Because wherever you go, there you are. 
Whatever space you're occupying, that's where the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life comes in. You got it? And what does it mean to be locked in time? It's not just about I only have so many days on the earth. It's the rational thinking mind can only function through time. You create a false identity through time. Who are you? Well, let's see. I was born in this year, and I grew up in uh, uh, Avondale, Colorado, and I was born to this family, and I went to Avondale Elementary, where Joanne was a, a secretary for a long time, and I graduated high school at Pueblo County High School, and now I'm a pastor, and, I'm, and i got two kids. and none of, I can't make any sense out of anything without going through a timeline. Unless something is sequenced in a timeline, past, present, future, it makes no sense. You cannot tell a story, any kind of story, unless you have those elements. So your thinking mind is bound by time. So the whole thing is for you to get so lost inside your story, so lost inside of, the, the, and that's what cuts you off from eternity. So when your mind is thinking you're locked in time, your body is locked in space, and as long as all you are is a body and mind, you're completely cut off. So what happened was the church comes along and gives you something to feed your body and mind to keep you locked off from the Christ consciousness. The consensus of the community. Unless you believe this, you can't be one of us. Unless you believe this, you can't be saved. And you make perfect sense of it and we'll lock Jesus into time and space and we'll lock your mind into time and space because if we can lock you into a historical event and say you have to believe this happened this way and you have to believe that this means this. You have to believe that Jesus shed His blood to appease an angry Father and and He did it on your behalf and as long as you can believe that and you have to believe that He was raised from the dead even though the Bible itself says only 500 people saw it and you don't know those 500 people. You don't have a clue who they were. They could have been taking mushrooms. Because as long as we can feed you that, we're appealing to the egoic mind, the ego mind, or the consciousness that is trapped in polarity and trapped in time and space that is actually has nothing to do with the garden. How many chambers are in your heart? Four chambers. In the Hebrew alphabet... The fourth letter is the Dalat. It's also the number because in Hebrew, the alphabets and the numbers are the same, kind of like the ancient Greek. And You're tracking with me. You know what four is? It's a door. Now think about your physical heart. What does it do? Yeah, but why is it beating? And why is it pumping blood? To keep you alive. Because the life of this lower soul is in the blood. That's what the Bible says. It's not in your brain, it's in your blood. The life of the soul is in the, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Or the soul. So not the life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Or the word life there is also the word for soul. So it actually says the soul of the flesh is in the blood. What's the soul? It's consciousness. Watch this. So when Jesus is hanging on that cross, what is he really doing? He's shedding 
the life of the flesh so that he can what? Give up his spirit and ascend. Which is why the blood of Christ cleanses your consciousness from dead works that you might serve the living God. Because it's showing you the pathway. See, when I close my eyes, when I shut down from this, when, I, when I'm able to bring my consciousness out of its prison of this physical body, and I'm able to free my consciousness from the prison of the obsessive mind, which cannot function without past, present, future. What happened? I have rescued, I have liberated my consciousness from time and space. The cross is all about being an eternal event, the eternal liberation of the divine spark within humanity to set them free so that the mind that was in Christ could also be in you. So that it becomes a reality that you can experience right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul was really never asking anybody to believe in someone or something that they never saw. What he was actually doing, what what the gospel is supposed to do is activate, if it's the real gospel, activate the Christ consciousness inside of you and give you ways to set you free from being bound by time and space. And when you're no longer bound by time and space, then you move into a place where you behold a lamb as though it was slain. Why? Because we have tried to kill the Christ consciousness in ourselves. But because it's eternal, it can't be slain. So it's not the lamb slain. It's a lamb standing in our center as though it's been slain because nobody's plugging into it. And instead, instead, we have this, this church consensus of who the church has told us that Jesus is and what the church has told us that we have to believe. That becomes a whole floating mass of thinking in the denser atmospheres that influence us. And so what happens is, is most people are plugged into a church thought form that is a Jesus that somebody created for you that has nothing to do with the Christ consciousness. And that's why you can't experience God. And that's why you can't work miracles. And that's why you can't leave your body. And that's why you can't have these kind of expansive experiences because you are tied in to a group consensus and a thought form. And you break that consensus and you watch how they treat you. You watch if they treat you like a lamb. You watch if they show you the kind of unconditional love where God reigns on the just and the unjust. You just step out of line just a little bit, baby, and they are gonna, they are not gonna come in like a lamb. They're gonna smack you around. They're gonna cut you off. They're gonna call you a heretic. They're gonna... Why? Because you stepped out of line of the group consensus and they gotta get you back in line with the group. Why? You know why? Okay, I gotta do this real fast. You wanna know why? You wanna know why? Because consciousness is real and energy, and life. And you are so powerful in the image of God and as God that you can create something. Your thoughts are life. Your thoughts are a form of light. You are made in the image of the Creator. So here's what happens to... Most demons that people get cast out of them are not archetypal ancient spirits that were around when Lucifer or whoever decided to rebel against God. Give me a break. Why are they messing with little old you? 
And if they're a limited number, there's 7 billion people on the planet. What are they doing now? Oh my God, we can't possess so many people because there was only a billion of us when we fell. And so now there's 7 billion people, so we can only possess one-seventh of the planet. Is that how that works? No. Most demons are demons that are real entities, that are real intelligences and real consciousnesses that, that you created through the power of your mind and your emotion. So that, so that if you think a thought long enough and you feel a feeling long enough, it takes on a life of its own. Come on, saints, all of us have been there at something. I mean, somebody with an anger problem, they, they don't want to be in that anger. They want to be free from that anger, right? They want to be free from that anger, but that anger just keeps coming on them and attacking them. And they don't, why? Because you created an entity that has to be fed. It has to be fed like any other living thing. It has to eat. What does it eat off of? Your attention and participation. Your thought and your emotion. If you're not thinking about it, it's starving. So it taps you on the shoulder and gets you triggered and says, Hey, here I am, rage. Hey, here I am, lust. Hey, here I am, obsessive, compulsive thinking, whatever. Here I am, anxiety. Here I am, depression. Feed me. Here I am, pain. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And we go to therapy and feed the beast. And when our therapist gets tired of hearing about it, we change therapists so we can go tell them more about all our pain. And we can't stop. It's it's an obsessive compulsive behavior. And why do we do it? Because we created an entity that has to be fed. Now what happens if millions of people start having the same thoughts? Start having the same beliefs? Start having the same emotions? What gets created? And religion. And all kinds of different stuff. And it exists in the atmosphere. This is in the Bible. Get Wednesday night's teaching. I can't, I don't have time to go. It's in Ephesians 2 if you translate it right. So how do you know if you're plugged into the Christ consciousness or a church thought form? How is it treating you? Does it have to be fed? I asked a question on Facebook. It, Boom! Here they go. (laughs) After I had that experience. Do we worship Jesus? You know, there's no place... Jesus said a lot of the stuff. Nowhere in there does Jesus ever tell you to worship Him. In fact, there's one place where He says, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. In the Ten Commandments, when it says, you shall not make any graven image, it says, in the likeness of anything male or female. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, obey me. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God. He didn't say, love me. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And people said, yes, but he is God. And... and my friend from California, I was telling you about, somebody put, well, he and the Father are one, and my friend from California responded to him and said, and so are you. I loved it. Because that's more fragmentation. It's not the one on the throne, it's me over here and God over there. A man shall leave. I can't do it. Can't do it. 
I mean, this answered so much stuff for me. So why? <laughs> so, so we have creed. We have the foundational creed. People say the Nicene Creed is the foundation that Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, obey me. Jesus said, love your God, love your neighbor, love yourself. None of that's in the first creeds of the church. None of it. The Nicene Creed, I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible. What it says about the Son is that he came to die for our sins. That he was raised from the dead and that he, and what starts out that he's light of very light and all that stuff. Not one thing the man said made it into the creed. There's nothing in there about loving people. Nothing in there about loving God. Nothing in there about following Jesus. How are you supposed to follow him anyway? He's, he's dead. Well, I know, okay, yeah, he's raised from the dead, but how are you supposed to follow him? Do you see what I'm saying? Obey him. Nowhere in there are you ever told to worship him. At the end of the book of Revelation, the angel, remember? John bows down and to worship him, he says, See that you don't worship me. I am your bre- I'm of your brethren, and I have the testimony of Jesus. Not testimony about Jesus, the testimony that comes from Jesus. Worship God. He doesn't say worship Jesus. He says worship God. So what happens is, is you have these thought forms that exist in the lower, denser atmospheres that you try to ascend and those thought forms grab hold of you because they have to be fed. So therefore, when the group, when someone leaves the group, what happens? Food just walked out the door. A battery just... Just left. We just disconnected a battery. Man, I was feeling charged up and really good. Oh, we just lost some batteries. So we better go shame them and beat on them and tell them how wrong they are and, and get them back in line. Why? So we can plug them back into the system so that we can get more food set at the table so that this false Jesus that we think has something to do with the Christ consciousness and has absolutely nothing to do with the Christ consciousness but has to do with power mongers that want to control and what's more, an entity that has been created in the lower atmospheres that wants to be fed and worshipped. That is an antichrist spirit because it wants to lock you into form. So they having a form of godliness disown the Christ consciousness or the power thereof, the Bible says. So when I go to meditation, I shut my eyes, I get quiet, what am I doing? I'm withdrawing my consciousness from space. And when I let go of my thinking mind, what am I doing? I'm withdrawing my consciousness from time. And what am I doing? I'm descending into the gateway so that I can hear the ancient sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I can say, here I See, see, we're, 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 we're white people. <laughs> Little golf clap. <laughs> Come on, this stuff will change your life. You're not watching a golf game. 
<laughs> All right, we're thankful for... Okay. Here's the thing, guys. Your heart, your emotions are there. If you can't touch your emotions and be free in your emotions and really feel, you will never get into the gateway of eternity. You're just locked in your mind and all the treasures and resources of Christ are locked away from you because you're just stiff and uptight and, and stoic and, and part of the spiritual work that has to take place is your emotions gotta be set free to have some kind of spontaneity so that you can feel some kind of fire, so that you can feel some kind of passion. And go through that gateway into eternity. Let's just stand up. Did you? Did this make sense to you? The, the crucifixion is about the loss. It's about the liberation of consciousness from time and space and all of its fixations. In whatever form those fixations take. You can be fixated on Bible study. Fixated on the word. You can fixate it on anything, drugs, anything. And it's just you that calls it good or evil. All of it is sin that falls short of Christ who is in you, the hope of glory. It's this fragmented consciousness that just floats off out here without any connection to the center. That, my brothers and sisters, is the issue not the form that it takes you breathing let's lift our hands come on i want you to instead of like like we have this idea in separation that god comes down into us i want you to just imagine in the center of your being i want you to just right now by faith even if all you can do is by faith acknowledge it just by faith right now draw your consciousness into the center of your being and realize that there is light and life radiating inside of you and radiating out from you, radiating out of the center of who you are. Everything you've always wanted, everything you've ever needed to know, every answer to every problem, every power for every miracle, every new future possibility is already the energy of it, the life of it, the light of it is already inside you at this very moment in the center of your being. It's not other than you. It's not disconnected from you. Your future is in you right now. Your miracle is in you right now. Your answer is inside you right now. Christ is in you. You don't have to find Him in Nazareth. You don't have to find Him in a book. You don't have to get out of your body in that sense and go to heaven to find Him. He's in the center of your being. He's in the core of who you are. There is a divine flame. There is a divine spark in you. The energy of Christ right now at this very moment. Every moment of your life. You're never separated from it. You're never other than it. You're just hiding from it. Break out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are. And Father, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and light and life to so penetrate the hearts of your people that we will see one on the throne, but realize that we are also on that throne. That just as Jesus overcame and sat down, we also can overcome the projections and illusions of the mind and sit down in the seat of Christ 
consciousness. Father, let it flow. Let it flow like a mighty stream. Let it flow like a mighty river out of our innermost being. We'll flow streams and rivers of living water. You understand, Jesus connected the woman at the well. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? The woman at the well. Which mountain do we worship on? Do we worship over here? Do we worship over there? Are the Jews right? Are the Samaritans right? Jesus says, you don't even get it. The hour is coming and now is. He takes her, he messes her up, man. Gets her out of time. How can it be coming in now? The hour is coming and now is when people will not worship on this mountain or that mountain or be a part of this group or that group, but they will worship in where? Spirit and light. Truth. Back to the garden. And he said, if you knew who it was that asked you for water, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. What? The water that I give you will become inside you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. In other words, what Jesus was doing was reconnecting her to the Christ that was in her. The man that she met, the man that she met was not the historical Jesus who told her everything that she'd always done. Jesus didn't do that. The man that she met was the Christ in her. The one who wasn't her husband. (laughs) She wasn't a hoe with five husbands. She was just married to her five physical senses. And so therefore the one she was living with was not her husband. Because the two are supposed to become one. So when she met the Christ, she met the Christ in her who told her all she did. That's powerful. All right, Father, bless this to our lives. Seal it inside our hearts. Let it become an energy and a power and a fire that just spreads throughout the earth. And we give you thanks and praise for it in Jesus' name. And if you can agree with that, just say amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a great day.